Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm so grateful that you've decided to tune in with us from wherever it is you're watching. I want to take this opportunity to welcome Pastor Dylan Doze of Restore Church and our Restore family. So grateful that we could be a part of this series together. We're in week four today of a sermon series that we entitled Keep Going as a response to Christians who are overwhelmed when things are are bigger than what we imagine them to be, when things are out of reach or out of touch, when things are overwhelming and we're not quite sure how to respond. This series is a direct response to how we as Christians are called to act in in times where we don't know what else to do, how we are called to lean into God all the more. And I'm so grateful for today's message. Let me invite you to grab your Bible right now and turn to Acts chapter 28, Acts 28. And while you're looking for Acts 28, which is where we're going to be for a majority of our time together today, I want to share with you a story that I heard when I first moved to the Midwest nine years ago. I'd never lived in the Midwest before. I moved nine years ago and I didn't really have an understanding of what the snow was going to be like there. In fact, living in Minnesota, I learned quickly that the only recorded month in the history of the state that has not had some recorded snowfall is the month of August. So Minnesota, as is true with much of the Northwest, or the Midwest rather, is known for tremendous amounts of snowfall. And I heard a story once about a woman who was caught in a whiteout. Caught in this whiteout, not sure what to do. She remembered the words of her father when she was first learning to drive, which was, follow the lights closest to you in the general direction that you were headed. Remembering those words, she saw flashing lights in front of her, and she quickly identified that as a snowplow that was headed in the direction that she herself was going. So, blind faith, not being able to see in front of her because of the whiteout, other than the the bright flashing lights, she jumped in line and followed the snowplow. After nearly an hour, the snowplow came to a stop, and again, still being a whiteout, she couldn't see around her where she was at, so trusting that she had made some headway, she too stopped behind the snowplow, only to see this man dressed in fluorescent colors coming toward her vehicle. Realizing that this was the driver of the snowplow, she rolled down her window enough to have a quick conversation with the man who said, hey, I've noticed for a while now that you've been following me, and and I'm great with that. Just want to let you know that I just finished the Kmart parking lot and I'm headed over to Sears next. You can imagine how frustrated this woman would have been that she was wandering around in circles seamlessly following this man without knowing where she was headed because she was unfamiliar with where she was at and it was overwhelming her sight. She couldn't see beyond what was in front of her. And I wonder if that's true of us. How often in our lives are we overwhelmed with circumstances that we seemingly can't see past, and so we blindly follow whatever light we think we see in front of us? And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about what we do in those seasons where things are overwhelming us and we can't quite see the forest for the trees, as they say in the Northwest where I grew up. When we end up in those moments where we're seemingly caught in a whiteout and we're looking for any kind of light, what do we do? Well, today I've entitled the message that in order to to keep going, we have got to be committed to our call. We've got to be committed to our call. And I would encourage you guys to grab something to write with and take some notes as we journey together through the book of Acts. But before we do, I want to begin our time together in a word of prayer. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together. I thank you for the power of technology. I thank you for the capital C Church that we can unite together with our friends at Restore Church. I thank you for this series, Keep Going, where we've been learning about perseverance and about following your leadership in our lives in moments of uncertainty and times that are overwhelming. And I pray now that as we spend these next few moments together in your word, that you would move in us that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would meet us where we're at, move us 
all the more where you want us to go. And I pray that you would reveal your truth and that your word would become active and that it would become alive in us. And God, I pray now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of our hearts would be received as a gift, holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we jump into today's message, Committed to Your Call, I want to share with you about a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose story really picks up in Acts chapter 9, but we're going to be in Acts 28, and we're going to look at the last few verses together, specifically verses 17 through the end of Acts, which is verse 31. Prior to what we're going to read, a lot of crazy things have happened to the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who is devoted to following Jesus. He is all the more devoted to following Jesus as he was as a Pharisee of Pharisees who was devoted to ending all of those who were followers of the way, whether by incarceration or by murder. The Apostle Paul has this radical encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. And from there, he is committed to his call. He's learning all the more about his call, and he is committed to the things that he's been called to. He's so committed to his call that when things come against him that are overwhelming, incarceration, being falsely accused, being beaten, being stripped, being spit upon, being falsely accused of all kinds of crazy things. He is committed all the more to Christ and his call to Christ in his life. We see that he is going to end up on trial in front of multiple people multiple times and for multiple reasons, none of which carry any weight. He's going to go before the governor in, uh, in, in a series of accusations that he's called the face that are just egregious. And he asks for a fair trial in which he's going to go see King Agrippa. And again, he's going to be put on trial. And then ultimately, he's going to be put on a ship headed toward Italy to Rome, where he's going to face trial yet again. As he's on his way, they end up being shipwrecked for over three months on an island called Malta. And while there, the Apostle Paul is going to get out and he's going to be making this fire. As he reaches in to grab some sticks to put in the fire, he's going to be bit by a viper, a venomous snake. The people there are watching and Paul just shakes this snake off of his hand and doesn't swell up, doesn't have a, an allergic reaction to this venomous snake bite. So the people there automatically assume that he's a murderer who is, is being judged for his, his wrongdoings. But when he doesn't have a reaction, they then want to uh, assign him that uh, of a god. This is a, a polytheistic community where they believe in multiple gods. And so they now want to anoint Paul as one of these little G gods or one of these deities. Well, the Apostle Paul, in the midst of all that's going on, under lock and key, under chains, because he's shackled and, and imprisoned for his faith and committed to his calling, he's got a lot of things going on that are all beyond his control, that are far-reaching. And yet, in the midst of all this, the things that he can't see clearly in front of him, he is able to keep going because he knows who he is because of whose he is, and he's committed to his call. And so we're going to pick up here after Paul ends up in Rome. He's been there three days, and he's brought now before a ruling body that is, again, going to put him on trial. And we're going to read in verse 17 to the end. Here we go. Verse 17. Paul, three days after Paul's arrival, he called together local Jewish leaders. And he said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and I was handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. 
There's a couple of things that I want to unpack here quickly as we move through this together. First of all, it's that Paul is under house arrest. He's being kept in Rome. He has a guard that is responsible, a Roman guard that's responsible for keeping watch of him. It's actually believed, given Roman culture at that time in history, that Paul is actually chained to this Roman guard. And every six hours, there's a changing of the guard. So Paul then is going to have a guard every six hours that is going to be swapped out and he's going to be chained and bound to this individual. Paul is living in what is likely a rented place to stay and he is using his own resources or relying on the resources of others to pay for his 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 living and his agreement to, to, to stay there so he can't go out on his own he can't leave under house arrest he can't go to the synagogues anymore to to preach and teach he can't go from towns and villages to to proclaim the gospel instead he has got to rely on others to come and meet him where he's at So what he does then is after being there for three days, he strategically invites Pharisees, religious leaders, those from the synagogues to come and meet with him so that he can continue to share the gospel, the truth, the good news of Jesus and this message. So Paul calls together these local Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, and he said to them, brothers, now this has a couple of different meanings. If you dig into the context here, one is that Paul identifies himself earlier as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Having been a leading Pharisee in his time, Paul, when he invites these religious leaders in, is identifying with them in terms of culture, that he knows culturally where they're at because he too was there once. The other thing is is a national identity. He knows that he is one of them speaking in terms of his heritage and his his DNA, his background. And so this term brothers is, is a term that draws out of them these parallels where they have this mutual connection together. Paul is strategically relying on these points of connection to identify with these individuals so that he can set the stage for this critical conversation he's about to have with them. I love how strategic Paul is when he begins this conversation. And he goes on to talk about what's happened to him. When he says, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people. Verse 18, the Romans tried me and they wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. Here now, he's talking about how he had gone to two different governors and had been tried for his his crimes And even then, they they found no fault with Paul. They didn't want to convict him. But because Paul had called for a fair trial with Caesar, they now were continuing this whole process. In verse 9, it says, But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. This is crazy to me. Paul is found innocent through this public trial, These Pharisees, these religious leaders are so outraged that they begin to appeal these these convictions or the lack thereof. And Paul, not wanting to pursue any legal ramification against his own people, he relies on their own rule and their own reign to fight for a fair trial. I love that he says, I didn't want to, I had no desire. I had no desire to press charges against my own people. What if that were true of us? So many times in scripture, we see that God fights for us, that God defends us. How often do we, when we feel wronged, when we feel that somebody has done something egregious to us, that they've spoken against us, or they have committed some sort of an act against us that 
that sits wrong with us. We want to we want to defend ourselves, and not only that, we want to get even. We feel like it's all right to to get even. And yet even Paul here, who had all the right in the world, who was found innocent, who could have absolutely thrown these people under the bus, Paul says, look, my goal, my desire isn't to, to throw them under the bus. I'm not looking to press charges. I'm not, going to, I'm not looking to sue them. I'm not looking to drag them through the mud. He didn't see Pharisees. He didn't see enemies. He saw souls that mattered to God. And because of these very souls that matter to God, the Apostle Paul is so incredibly strategic about what he does. It sets the stage and creates a platform for him to share the gospel. I wonder what would happen if in our own lives we didn't see bosses and we didn't see employees and we didn't see foes. And we didn't see people that were against us, but we saw souls. We saw people that mattered to God. And rather than being right or getting even, we looked for opportunities to create a platform where we could share the gospel with them. How much different our lives and how much different the lives of those around us would look. So the Apostle Paul, who has every right in the world to be angry, the Apostle Paul, who has every right in the world to get even, he forgoes those opportunities in favor of creating a platform where he can share the gospel. And it says here in verse 20, I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I'm bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. And I love this. This is seriously one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It seems obscure. You look at this and you say, well, what is it about? I mean, that's not something you tattoo on your arm or get embroidered on a pillow that you throw on your couch, right? I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I'm bound with the chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. But let me explain to you two of the reasons why I love, why I love this passage. The first is that Paul is all about relationships. Notice he says, I invited you here so that we could become acquainted with one another. I want to know you. I want to know your story. And I want you to really know me. I want us to become acquainted with one another. Paul is all about relationships. He's not about being right. Even though he had every opportunity to be right, he cared more about the relationship than he did about being right. One of the things that I see in the church today is that the enemy, Satan, uses people's priority of being right over building relationships to create divisions in the church. It is one of the most egregious things in the church today. I believe it grieves the heart of God that people care more about being right than they do about the relationships with one another, that people care more about being right or righteous than they do about a right relationship with, with God. The apostle Paul doesn't want anything to do with being right. He wants everything to do with building a relationship in order to introduce people to a right relationship with Jesus. Friends, I beg you to give strong consideration to how important it is that you're right theologically, how important it is that you're right doctrinally, how important it is that you're right educationally over the relationship that we're called to with one another and with God. If we were to build these relationships and earn the right to be heard, how much more would we accomplish together in the kingdom? 
The Apostle Paul says, the first thing that I care about is that we're building this relationship. And then the second thing he says on the heels of the relationship is that I want to explain to you. I want to explain to you that I'm bound with this chain. I mean, he's literally chained to a a guard, a Roman guard, an armed guard. Every six hours, a new guard given to, to watch and look after him. And he's demonstrating, he's showing them this shackle that he's in. And he's telling them the cause for his incarceration. I want to build this relationship with you because you matter. And I want to share with you why I'm in these shackles, why I'm in these chains. And the reason I'm in these chains isn't the reasons that you think. It's not the reasons that I'm even on trial. I'm in these chains because I believe in the hope of Israel. I believe in the Messiah. The one that you're waiting for is the one that's already come. The promise has already been fulfilled. The new covenant is here. He's been among us and he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul is so excited to share with them about the Messiah that he shows them demonstratively why he is a doulos, why he is a slave in chains, shackled and bound for their sake. He goes on in verse 21. Luke records in this account, they, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the synagogues in that time, replied, we have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. For the one thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. Now, everywhere is a really broad term, isn't it? I think it's an allegory for the known world at that time. They begin by talking about Judea. I mean, this is, this is a long way from Italy. Paul has gone throughout the Mediterranean, and he's shared the gospel, and he's done life and ministry with countless individuals. He's impacted innumerable lives. And everywhere he's gone, his reputation has preceded him. People, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, have literally written letters and sent them ahead of Paul's visits to these communities, to Ephesus, to Thessalonica, to Philippi, to Corinth, to these communities, warning them in advance about Paul. And Paul knows this because he did the same thing in Acts 7, 8, and 9, we see how the Apostle Paul is given, at that time he saw the Pharisee of Pharisees, he's given legal rule to write a letter and to send it out. It's a decree that he has the legal authority to arrest, capture, and even kill followers of the way. So he knows the process. And I love what the Apostle Paul does here is he assumes in advance, it's already happened everywhere else. People already know who I am and what I'm about everywhere. And I'm assuming that word's already gotten to you. But for some reason, it hadn't yet reached Rome. I don't know. At that time, I do know that couriers would take these letters, and a lot of times they would take them by ship. So maybe, maybe that letter actually went down in the shipwreck before Paul got there. Maybe somebody who was charged with the task of bringing the letter grew weary of the journey and just stopped. Whatever the case may be, word hadn't traveled yet to Rome. And so those who were in Rome at that time were still open and receptive to hearing what Paul had to say. Paul takes advantage of this opportunity. They said, we want to hear what you have to say. The only thing that we know is that this message that you're proclaiming, it's being denounced everywhere. So we want to hear it from from you. Verse 23. So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. And he explained to to them 
he explained and he testified about the kingdom of God. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. He knew his audience. Man, I love this. I'm going to get into this in just a minute, but I want to let you know up front that I love, I love, I absolutely love how intentional Paul is in sharing the gospel. He knows his audience. He sets a time. He intentionally builds this relationship and he makes clear to them his intentions of sharing the gospel with them. And he creates a platform to invite them in. He's built this relational equity and it's not a bait and switch. He's not building this relationship so then that he can, he can switch the gospel up on them, but he builds the relationship with them in hopes that he can share the gospel, which he's clear about. And he sets up the, the opportunity to share with them and he invites them and then he begins to share. And not only that, but he shares in a context that they understand. Paul is, again, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's crazy familiar with the Old Testament. He's crazy, crazy familiar with the Torah, the laws, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Tanakh. A part of, the, a part of that is the prophecies. And so knowing his audience, Paul speaks of the kingdom of God in a way that matters and makes sense to them and where they're at. It says here, using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he had said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, now using Isaiah chapter 6 as a platform for this conversation, he is going to recite what they are absolutely familiar with. Verse 26, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. How easy would it have been Paul for Paul to be discouraged that here he is. It says from morning until evening, he presented his case and they argued and they had this amazing conversation about the things of God, about the kingdom of God. They were combing scriptures together. They were working through this together. And it says some, some were persuaded, still others didn't believe. Man, I don't know about you, but when I am vulnerable and I share my heart and I pour myself out to people and I give my life away in testimony and sharing with them how this, how this active living word of God has transformed my life and changed me forever, when they don't, when they choose not to believe or they don't want anything to do with it, it's hard not to take that personal. And that can be overwhelming. It can be really difficult to want to keep going as a person, let alone as a pastor. The number of times as a pastor where I've come up against obstacles, against individuals who, who have thrown these intellectual obstacles or these smoke screens or these things that, that they, they throw up because they don't like me or they don't like what I've had to say or they don't like what we're doing as a church. And they seemingly walk away from the truth or walk away from what God's doing here. It's really hard not to take that personal. It's really hard. If I'm being completely honest with you, it's really hard to keep going sometimes because I love people. I love people so much. And I truly believe in life and ministry together. So a lot of times when people walk away, these aren't just people who are walking away. These are people that I've given my life to, that I've done life with. And if I'm not careful, I can super personalize that. And it's hard for me to keep going at times. But the Apostle Paul, in these moments, is so committed to his calling that he understands it's not him that they're walking away from. 
he realizes that God spoke about this long ago through the prophet Isaiah when he said, look, people are going to hear the message and they're going to deny it. They're going to turn away from it. They're going to walk away. They're going to have hard hearts. So here's, here's Paul's response, verse 28. Uh, so I want you to know that the salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. And you know what's beautiful about that? Culturally speaking, the Gentiles come from largely polytheistic communities where they have multiple gods. These are individuals who gather in the city squares and they're chasing the next best idea. They are a part of this Gnostic lifestyle where they're looking for enlightenment. And when they have a new idea or a new concept that seems better than what they had before, they easily drop what they were doing and chase after that one. And I know that sounds, that sounds really crazy that they would be so, so open, but think about that. They wanted truth. They wanted answers. They were open. It was the religious leaders who cared more about being right than they did about the relationships that were hard-hearted. They were so convinced that they had it figured out that they were unwilling to see the forest for the trees. In their desire to be right, they forced themselves in the middle of a whiteout. It was the Gentiles who were desperately looking for answers that were malleable. They were ready. They were receptive to the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul now brings a message that had been set apart for God's chosen people up until that point, but now it's been made available to everyone. They're desperate for this, this truth. They're longing for it. Some of you watching right now, you can identify with that. You've been longing for truth. You've been searching anywhere. You've been going everywhere in hopes of, of greater understanding, of making sense of all this mess. And the truth is in the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. And you're receptive to I hope right now that the Holy Spirit would absolutely captivate your hearts and get a hold of your minds and that you would hear this and receive this as the Apostle Paul does for the Gentiles back then as he did for this Gentile sitting right here. He captured my heart when I was desperately looking everywhere, anywhere, to anyone for answers. He got a hold of my heart in the, the most overwhelming circumstances of my life up until that point in my life. And he showed me the truth. And here the Apostle Paul is going to present the truth. And I love this. It speaks to the heart of every Christian. It speaks to being called. It speaks to being committed. In verses 30 and 31, Luke recalls that for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. And he welcomed all who visited him, Pharisees and Gentiles and everything in between. And what did he do? Not only did he welcome them, but he boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. And I love that. I love that he was so committed to his calling that even when things were overwhelming, he was able to keep going. I mean, here's a guy who, according to the law, knew what was in front of him. He knew that he was likely going to lose his life and probably in the same manner that he ended up losing his life by being beheaded. He knew that there were people who were dead set on taking his life, on seeing to it that he was put to an end because everything he stood for, his commitment to his call, flew in the face of everything that they were about. And it was, 
it was seen as a direct attack on them. It was going to cause everyone to question everything that they had believed forever. Paul didn't care. He was arrested multiple times. He was beat multiple times. He was falsely accused. He was abandoned by his closest followers. He was spit upon. He was looked over. If you name it, it happened to Paul. Talk about being caught in a whiteout. Talk about not being able to see the forest for the trees. The Apostle Paul was familiar with who he was following. So he didn't just wander in circles inside of a Kmart parking lot waiting for the next parking lot to, to be plowed. No, no, no. He knew clearly who he was following and where he was going because he was committed to his calling. And in the midst of everything going on in his life, Luke recalls that he kept doing what he was doing and nobody dared stop him. He was, he was so committed to, to preaching the gospel because he knew what he was called to. So that begs the question for you and me as followers of Jesus. What are we called to? Now listen, we don't have time to get into all of the things that we are called to, but I do want to share three things that I think embody the totality of our calling. I want to share three things with you that I absolutely know, like I know, like I know, that we as fully devoted followers of Jesus are called to. And if we can commit to our calling, we can keep going when we can't see the forest for the trees. We can keep going when we're caught in the, the whiteouts of life. What's the first thing we're called to as fully devoted followers of Jesus? We're called to love. If you have your Bible still with you, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to read two verses. Here, Jesus is... Well, he's on public trial. I mean, not really for any, any sin, but they're trying to catch him in sin. And they ask him what the greatest commandment in the law of Moses is. And here's what Jesus says in verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In verse 39, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. The first thing that we are called to as fully devoted followers of Jesus is to love, is to love God and to love people, to love people radically, to love people intentionally, to love people generously in the same way that we want to be loved. When, when life is overwhelming, when we're caught, out, caught outside in the whiteouts of this life, and it feels like we don't have it within us to keep going. The thing that we need to do is be committed to our call. And if we're going to be committed to our call, we must know what we're called to. And the first thing that we're absolutely called to is to love. We're called to love God with every fiber of our being. In our thoughts, with our emotions, with our will, in our relationships. We're called to love God in every way. And as a byproduct, we're called to love people. And why? Because God loves people. God loves people so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us, each and every one of us. Not to condemn us, but to, to save us. So in order for us to be committed to our call, we've got to know what that call is. And the first part of that is we're called to love. There's two more that I want to share with you. The second commitment that we're called to is that we are called to, to live. We're called to live set apart. I want to share with you from 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and it says, beginning in verse 1. This is Paul writing a letter to 
Peter says, so then, since, I'm sorry, yeah, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of these evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember, they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. This is Peter. This is Peter who is writing. This is Peter who is crazy familiar with what it takes to be a, a follower of Jesus. He followed Jesus for three years while Jesus did his earthly life ministry, and then he was committed to following Jesus after the ascension in Acts 1.8. Now, one of the things that he says is he knows his commitment is, and his calling is that he's called to, to live set apart. He's not called to live like the rest of the world. He's not called to act like the rest of the world. He's not called to speak like the rest of the world. The Apostle Paul says we're, be, we're to be in the world, not of the world. So in the midst of these moments that are overwhelming to us, that are, 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 are causing us to not see clearly things that are just, well, they're more than we can handle. If we want to know what we need to do to keep going, we need to be committed to our call. And we need to know what that call is. And that call is to love God and to love others. And that call is to live set apart. It's to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. It's to, it's to be done with the things that are that are sinful, that are wicked, that are unrighteous. And it's to be committed to the things that bring glory to God and that edify those around us. That's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. There's a third thing that I want us to unpack quickly that we're called to as followers of Jesus. And that is that we are called to labor. If you have your Bibles and you're still following along in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? He's talking about these individuals that have been committed to the work of the church and of God in the church. And he says, we're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. So he's giving credit where credit is due. It's to God alone. He says, each of us did the work of the Lord, gave us. I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it is God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Paul, to his friends in Corinth, these fellow followers of Jesus talks about the commitment that we have to be laborers of God, that we have got to be committed to laboring in sharing the gospel and presenting the gospel in in, in how we live our lives and in the words that we use, how we share the good news of God. So what do we do when life is overwhelming? What do we do when obstacles come our way? What do we do when things seem insurmountable? What do we do when we're caught in the whiteouts of life? 
First, you've got to be familiar with who you're following. Don't just jump in line with the first light you see. You've got to be familiar with the light that's in front of you. Jesus is the light of the world. And we've got to follow the light of the world. And as we follow the light of the world, he will, through his word, illuminate our path. The Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so follow Jesus. Get into his word. Walk where Jesus walked in terms of how he lived his life and what he did and what he taught. We've got to be familiar with who we're following. And in order for us to keep going, friends, we can't waffle and waver. And we talked about that the very first week of this series in James when he says that if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously and he's going to give it to you. But if you ask, don't be double-minded, tossed and thrown about by the waves of the sea. It's like you, you look at yourself in the mirror and you walk away and completely forget what you look like. You've got to be intentional about seeking God for wisdom and, and asking him. So as you do, as you, as you ask God to give you this wisdom to help you to keep going when things are overwhelming, to persevere in the midst of these, these trials and these circumstances, these things that we're faced with, we've got to remember that we, we must be committed to our call. But in order to be committed to our call, we've got to know what we're called to. And as followers of Jesus, we are committed to, to many things. But among those are three things that embody everything. We are called first and foremost to love. Christian, how are you loving right now? How are you loving in your words? How are you loving in the actions that you are about? How are you loving in how you spend your time? How are you loving in how you spend your money? How are you loving God and how are you loving others as you love yourself in all these areas? In order to keep going, you've got to be committed to your call and you're called to love. I'm called to love. We're called to love. Friends, let's love on purpose. Let's love radically. Let's love generously. Let's love intentionally. The second thing that we're called to is we're called to live. We're called to live set apart. The Bible says that in Christ that we are new creations, that the old is gone and the new has come, that we're called to be set apart and sanctified. That's our spiritual act of worship, the Bible says. So my question to you is, how are you living? Are you living in a way that an outside world looking in would know that there was something different about you? That there's something different about me? In the words that we use, in the way that we behave, how we interact with our families, how we interact with our employers, how we interact with our employees, how we drive, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, the things that we talk about. Are we living in a way that demonstrates that we're clearly following Jesus with every fiber of our being, that we're loving God and loving others. And the third thing that we are called to is we are called to labor. We are called to work. We are called to work with the gospel. We're called to work like Paul did, where he was intentional about how he set up the stage to build relationships and to, to share the gospel. We're called to, to plant seeds, and we're called to water seeds. Planting seeds is, is sharing the gospel message, and the greatest way I know to share the gospel message is to love God and love people, and it's to share how God has transformed our lives. That's why we here at CBC exist. We exist as a church to be a community where people encounter Jesus, and their lives are changed forever, and a part of that encounter is you and I intentionally sharing our life transformation stories, talking about how we once were dead, but now we are alive. We were once bound to this miry clay, but how God reached down in the pits in the bottom and he pulled us out and he restored us and he redeemed us. And we've been regenerated, regenerated and renewed. 
It's our life. It's our story. It's our testimony. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got one. You've got a story of redemption. We get to labor by sharing our story. We get to labor by, by planting those seeds. And then if we're lucky enough, God will bring people into our lives that we get to model the behavior. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that should be our ideal that we would bring people around us to say, look, I don't have it all figured out, but I know the one who does. And as I follow the one who does, follow me. Let me help water this seed that has been planted in you. Let me show you. Let me shower you with the love of God. Let me shower you with his word. Let me shower you with the fullness of the gospel. We get to labor so that God, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, will bring to fullness the work of God and the word of God through his will. Guys, I am so excited about this series. I'm so excited about where we've been and where we're going. I'm so excited that we have these stories of perseverance because if we're honest, not only are we still facing seasons of uncertainty, but there's so much as individuals that is just flat out overwhelming. And there are times where we're so overwhelmed that we feel like we're caught in the middle of life's whiteouts. We don't know what's in front of us. We don't know where we're going. But I love that God gives us his word to light the way for us, that we can be familiar with who we're following. And I love that the way that we can keep going is that we can be committed to our calling. And in order to be committed to our calling, we've got to know what our calling is. And that he makes clear what our calling is, to love God and love people, to live set apart for him, and to labor for the gospel. How are you loving? How are you living? And how are you laboring? When you do these things under the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God will use you in mighty ways, not only to keep going in your own life, but to be a light for others to follow. And I pray that that's true of me, and I pray that that's true for you and for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time in your word today. I thank you that you've made clear our calling and that you've empowered us to be committed to the call. I thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and for those forefathers of our faith that set a standard, that led the way that we can look to. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to empower us to follow your leadership in our lives. For anybody watching right now that is struggling with feeling like they're caught out in the whiteouts of life, I pray that you would make clear your light in front of them right now. God, I pray that you would bring about a complete peace and comfort for them. I pray that they would surrender themselves to you and for those who have been looking for answers, looking desperately for answers, that they would look to you, the author and the perfecter of faith. God, I pray for each and every one of us that have encountered you and our lives have been changed forever, that we would understand right now what we're called to, that we're called to love you with every fiber of our being and to love those around us, and that we're called to live set apart, sanctified, and that we are called to labor for the gospel. And I pray all these things in the mighty and the power in the ever-present name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.